Hey, you're listening to the Encounter Church podcast. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit us at ecdenver.org, or you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. Uh, the title of this message this is part two of a series of the blessings of sowing, and, and that verse, anybody want to sh- tell me what John 10.10 10 says? That was well done. <laughs> All right. The thief's purpose in the, in the new living is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus talking, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I, I like the, the new living in that. If you think about it, God is not trying to mess you up. Even if he's ironing some wrinkles out from you, even if, he, if, if he's allowing some things in your life, that, you know, he causes all things to work to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. What God wants to bring into our lives is a rich and satisfying life. I love the, the imagery of the cornucopia. If, you're, if you've ever seen one of these and wondered what are you usually see them around Thanksgiving, uh, if we have that image. And, and what it is, you know, it is, it's the horn of plenty, and it shows all of those things coming out. And everything that is in that horn of plenty, everything in that cornucopia, grows from a seed. It grows from a seed. It was something small and infant, you know, tiny that looks nothing like the finished product. But if the seed is allowed to grow and thrive and increase, it becomes something beautiful that nourishes and enriches and blesses the people who partake of it. Now, we know from the teachings of Paul that life and the consequences we enjoy often are a direct result of the seeds that we sow into our lives and others. Galatians 6-7, we talked about this last week. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. But here's something I want you to consider. What are the seeds that God is sowing into you? And do you allow them to come to maturity? Now, we know about sowing seeds to God, you know, sowing God, using our giving as a worship, using our service as a worship, using our praise as a seed unto God. You know, that's why in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. But what about the word of God? that comes forth either through a a Holy Spirit-led moment or or through a sermon or through your daily reading of the Bible or, or however you encounter it, what does that seed of God's truth produce in you? Now, all three of the parallel or synaptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, share a, a com- many common stories, but one of the common stories is the story of the sower, where Jesus is talking about the farmer who goes and throws seeds out. And some of the seed, you know, lands on what? Thin ground, and so it just withers. Some of it lands, you know, and it gets choked by, by anxieties and by temptations and by the cares. Some of it lands, and the, and the pursuit of riches, this contrast between this world and the next, our preoccupation with our own creature comforts choke the word from being fruitful and producing the cornucopia we want and that God wants for us. And so, so the question is, What is the fruit that Jesus is trying to produce in us through his sermons, through his teachings, through the ministry of the apostles? And how 
Does he want to use that to accomplish his ultimate purpose, which is to bring the world to a saving knowledge of Christ? We know this world is messed up. You heard Pastor Steve talk about it. There's, there's just stuff out there, whether it's Pakistan or, or, or Palm Beach. I mean, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter where you go. There's some things that are, that, are, that are toxic and harmful, and God wants to bring life and life more abundantly to a lot of people who don't even know he's real. And so how does he want to use us? Because the seeds in us are something I'm calling Jesus seeds. And we know anecdotally and by experience that the best seed produces the best harvest, right? You use good seeds to get good corn or whatever it is you're trying to grow. But the most powerful seeds that you will ever be in possession of are the Jesus seeds that he has planted in you. And the Apostle Paul, again, writing to the Corinthians, was talking about how we interact with people that hold different views and and people who aren't quite on the same page with us. And he said this, I too try to please everyone and everything I do. I've heard people preach against being people pleasers. Well, yes, there's a point of not being a people pleaser, but this is in the Bible, right? Okay? So there is a point where we try to be bridge builders because that's what God wants to do. I don't just do what is best for me, Paul wrote. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. Okay, the point of it is I want to have relationship with them, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And implicit in that is that there, there is a transformation in Paul's character that is to occur that is going to cause him to be more Christ-like. And the more Christ-like he becomes, the more effective he becomes at reaching the world. They need truth. But how do we get that truth to them so that they're not going to die in their ignorance? Amen? How do we get that? Well, I believe that the more we allow the the Word of God to be transformative, the more... uh, that we let Jesus sow into us, the more we act like him. And so I'm going to highlight this morning five things that every single believer has had sown into their lives. These are five things that, that Jesus has put in you. They're seeds he's put in you. And he gave them to you so that you're going to experience life and life more abundantly. But he also gave them to you so that you'll be transformed and you'll become Jesus with skin on. And the first most of us could probably talk about it, it, it's forgiveness. Anybody ever done anything wrong in the room? (laughs) Just looking around. Have you ever needed to be forgiven? Is it rewarding and fulfilling and life-affirming to be forgiven, especially when you know you don't deserve it? My question is, though, how forgiving are we? Because i got to tell you, sometimes it's hard to forgive. If I was in Pakistan and they had burned down my church and my house, I, I don't know how I would react. I know I wouldn't be happy. You know, I, I know Jesus says, turn the other cheek. I, that would be tough for me. Because that's my family you messed with. I don't want my family messed with, man. How dare you do that? And yet, we have this thing of forgiveness. So, so how do we not allow our families to be exploited, but the same token, how do we stand for what is right? 
Have a backbone, because I think God wants us to have a backbone at the same time forgive. But there's a blessing in it. There is a blessing that will come into your life if you will forgive people who have hurt you. Now, let me be equally clear. Just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you trust them or have to continue an intimate relationship with them. Henry Cloud's got a great new book on trust. Excellent. And, and, and he's very honest. Hey, I forgive you. That doesn't mean I give you my wallet. Okay, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's, you know, that's, that's not what forgiveness is about. It, it's choosing not to judge and giving God the ultimate right to evaluate each person according to his justice and his mercy. The church needs to be more forgiving. There's a second seed, though, that every single believer has received, and it's acceptance, not rejection. This is, this is the thief on the cross. This is, I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. I know you don't want to hang out with me, because who would? And we choose to hang out with them anyway. I have an acquaintance. Um, I wouldn't call him a friend, but years ago, he committed a felony and went to prison. He was a pastor. And all his congregation, all his family, everybody turned their back on him, except one of his board members, who proceeded to write to him regularly in prison and even going to another state to visit him, and kept that relationship open in the hopes that he would repent, come to his senses, and, when he, and, and go get back to God. Now, he never got back in ministry, which is probably a good thing, but he did get back into relationship with Jesus, in large part because of the acceptance and acceptance is not approval. There's no way to approve of a felony. You committed a felony. You're clearly guilty. You should be in jail. And yet, you're still a human being. And God does not see us through the filter of who's worthy to be in his presence and who's not worthy to be in his presence. He freely acknowledges where we fall short and says, come sit beside me anyway. He doesn't approve of our sins. Do you really think God approves of sin? I don't think so. He tolerates it, overlooks it, he forgives us of it. And we likewise have people in our lives that, that, that have been ostracized. One of the things I was most proud of Pastor Wally for, uh, and I don't know how many of you know this story, Wally had a nephew who uh, left Nebraska, moved to California, and embraced the gay lifestyle. A very artistic man, I met him, nice guy. And a lot of, you may not know, but in the 1970s, if you were homosexual, you were pretty much ostracized from your family, from everybody else. It was, it was, you know, my, you didn't talk about that. But Wally kept a relationship with this young man, and he kept writing to him, and, and eventually, unfortunately, the young man contracted AIDS, and, and at that time, there were no treatments, and he was basically given a death sentence, and Wally took it on himself to pray for this young man, to write to this young man, and eventually, this young man gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I mean, it's a great story, but it's a story of acceptance, not approval. Wally was a Pentecostal evangelical preacher. He was a word guy. He believed what the Bible taught. So he couldn't look at him and say, you know what you're doing is okay. But he could look at him and say, you matter, you're important, I love you, and I want a relationship with you. He reached out, and I was proud of him for that. And so we have forgiveness, we have acceptance, and, and then we have something that... that is often diminished because it's more powerful than we think. We, 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 we kind of just blow this off. It's compassion and not indifference. Compassion to me is taking the time to be with people to let them know that they matter. The, my opinion, you can disagree with me one, 
The, the greatest form of disrespect that you can show anyone is to ignore them. To look at somebody or not look at somebody, to simply walk by them and say, you do not have enough value for me to even nod my head at you. And that is common in our culture. We walk past people, we could take a second. And, and again, I'm as guilty as the next person. This week, uh, you know, I was here in the office on Thursday. A lot of the pastors were out uh, and we had a homeless person come in looking to get a, a hotel voucher. And we have a rule that it has to be two people who meet with them. And, and so Devin said, Pastor, you're the only one here. Do you mind meeting with this gentleman? I said, sure, I'll go meet with him. And so we, you know, we're sitting there talking. He was clearly stoned. He was also you know, suffering from mental illness. And, and uh, you know, we really try to help people. And, but we, you know, Devin took his, his ID and we have to take a photocopy. We tried to get him information uh, about the navigator for the city of Centennial. They have a paid staff person whose job it is to work with homeless people to get them plugged into resources like, you know, addiction recovery, you know, housing, food, all of those things to try to help them. And they've got buckets of money. This Rathville County has $20 million to spend on this problem. And, uh, and you know, and, and he took it and, you know, I, what he did with it, I don't know. He really just wanted a, a place to stay. And that, you know, because he's not healthy. But I took time to, to just listen to him. And I said, well, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. Got a family? No, I got no family. You got any children? Oh, yeah, a lot of kids. How many kids? I got 120. And I, you know, I'm sitting there going, what? And I'm looking at him like, are you, you know, he goes, yeah, yeah, like 20 different mothers. And I mean, he's, he's mentally ill, guys. He's delusional. He's stoned. And I'm sitting there looking at him. And so we, we bless him. And, and he takes the, the voucher and, and he leaves. And, and he looked rough. He, and, and I said, you know, my gosh, you know, how old is he? And Devin says he's 45. He looks 65. That's what meth does to you. And I thought, how many guys like that are there? Now, I have no idea if he'll come to Christ. But, but I, I'm glad that I took time, even though, can I be transparent? I was busy on Thursday. And dealing with a mentally ill, stoned, homeless guy was not on my agenda. It really was not. I had other things to do. And I, when I looked at him, oh, my gosh, he's got purple hair. Great. What are we going to do here? But I'm glad I took the time. I'm glad Devin took the time. I, I, I'm glad, even though I, I, I didn't want to, that, that at least once in his life, a minister looked at him and said, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. You matter enough for me to listen for two minutes to your 120 kids story. Because maybe it's a seed that will produce something. Because as Paul said, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be good to everybody because I really want everybody to come to Christ. So we have forgiveness. We've got acceptance, not rejection. We've got compassion. But here's one that, that in studying for this, I'd never thought of this before. But it's part of what the body of Christ should be, and it's friendship, not isolation. There is a mental health crisis permeating our country. People of all ages, suicides are at record levels. Young people who should have everything to look forward to are, are, are raising their hands and saying, I am depressed, discouraged, and see nothing good in the future. Senior citizens who have reached the point where they should be enjoying the fruits of their labor are discouraged. There, there, there's, just, there's just confusion, and, and the enemy is going around just sowing sadness, hopelessness, discouragement, 
all over the place. I have a, a friend who's a Christian therapist, and he told me, he said, you know, this COVID pandemic, it was literally the most profitable thing that ever happened in my practice. He said, we are booked for months out, he and his four partners. We've never seen the number of people just begging us to help them make sense of the insanity that is out there. But, but here is the point. Jesus calls us friends. And he says, I don't care what you're doing. I always have time for you. And encounter one of our, our core statements, our, our mission statement, is that we're a diverse community of people, a community. And the thing that was the characteristic of the early church in the first few centuries was the, the communal relationship was there. Now, and we don't necessarily need to share finances. This is not the same thing as the Roman Empire. But how much mental illness would be broken if the body of Christ were willing to reach out and say, if you need a friend, I'll be your friend. That I'll accept you just as you are. I won't necessarily approve of everything. I'll show you compassion by giving you the time that, that, that others have denied you. And I will forgive you because I know that there's no way that we can have a relationship without you hurting me because if you have a relationship with anybody, they will hurt you. And, I mean, am I wrong on that? But how different the people that we interact with could become if we made it an intentional goal of our, ourselves to reach out to embrace people who are isolated and say, why don't you go to coffee with me? I don't need to sell you anything. I don't need to exploit you. I don't need to prove that God is real. I don't need to, you know, eventually if the door opens and preach the gospel. But what if we were just friends with people and gave them the opportunity to trust us and share with us? How many people could avoid the discouragement and the trap of that emotional discouragement? I think it's powerful. I think it'd be transformative. I think it could be one of the greatest soul-winning tools we've ever embraced as a congregation or as a movement, and, and just this idea of friendship. Because people are lonely. Which brings us to, to my last seed that I want to share this morning, and it's, it's hope, not resignation. People need hope. A belief that whatever it is is hurting can change. Uh, a belief that, that, that the circumstances that they find themselves in are not permanent, but they can be transitioned. Something can happen. Now, I believe that if you follow the teachings of the Bible, your life will be blessed. Um, your, your relationships will be blessed. Your, your finances will be blessed. You know, I, I just believe it. I believe God did come to this world to give us a rich and satisfying life. And if you follow those teachings, the stewardship and all that, good things will happen to you. But, but there are people... Who, who, who may have heard that, but they don't necessarily believe it in here because nobody's ever helped them. And there's a really famous story uh, by, the, he's passed now, but Sidney Portier. how many of you remember the actor Sidney Portier? Uh, was born in the Bahamas. Uh, when he was 14, he got into trouble uh, with a wrong crowd. His parents sent him to America to work with an uncle. He eventually got to New York when he was 16, and he decided he wanted to become an actor. The only problem is he was semi-literate. And he went at that time, this is the early 1950s or late 1940s, uh, there, was, there was an African-American theater company out of Harlem that was, that was quite prestigious. And he's 16 years old, an African-American young man living on his own in New York City, 
And he goes to an audition at this theater company. They hand him a script, and he can't read it. Not, he could kind of fumble through, but he was clearly not going to be embraced. And so, no job for you. And this was his dream. He's 16 years old, but he's got to support himself. So what do you do when you're an African-American in New York City in the late 40s, early 50s? You become a dishwasher. Because those are the kind of jobs that are available to you. And in this dishwasher role at a restaurant, he, he, he would take this newspaper and, and he'd, he'd kind of try to read it on his breaks and, and whenever he had a moment, trying to get better, trying to improve himself. And there was a waiter, an elderly Jewish man, according to Sidney in his biography, who came in and he said, hey, what's new today? Because the guy's reading the newspaper. And he says, I don't know. I can't read it. And he looked at him and he said, well, we've got to fix that. And so what he did is for six months, after work, the two of them would sit and he would go through the newspaper and Sidney would sound out the words and he would, he would coach him. He would say, no, that's that word. And he taught him phonics. He taught him how to recognize the sounds from the And again, he's, he, there, there's no money in it for this guy. He's just an early Jewish man who saw a young teenage African-American kid whose entire future is on hold because he can't read a script. And Sidney also he said he would listen to the radio and he would try to improve his vocabulary. And six months later, that same African-American theater company had another audition. Sidney goes in, nails it, reads the script, and gets the part. And the rest is history. All because a man, and he doesn't even, I don't, the biography doesn't mention his name to the best of my knowledge. But it was an elderly Jewish man who looked at the other person and said, I want to put hope in your life. How much more should the body of Christ look for people who have no hope? And we can do something that might take a little time, it might take a little effort, but my Lord, what a transformation. And what a witness to them of God's desire to come into their life, not to judge them, not to condemn them, not to ostracize them, not to, not to reject them, not to isolate them, but to say, come into me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will not only forgive you of your sins, I will engraft you into my own family. I will not just call you forgiven, I will call you sons and daughters. And I will take the wrinkled, messed up life that you have, and I'll iron it, and I'll purify it, if you'll let the seeds from my word take root in your soul and produce the harvest I want for you. But some of this is big, right? These are big changes. I mean, you know, I, I look at this in my own life and I'm saying, I, I you know, what, I, there's five things, five seeds. These are all things that you've shown me, God. You showed Reese forgiveness. You showed Reese acceptance. You showed Reese compassion. You've been one of the closest friends in my life, and you've given me hope. But, but how do I sow those in others? I'm busy. I got stuff. I got family. I got a church. I got pickleball. No. <laughs> you knew it had to make it somewhere. Somewhere in there it had to make it. And, and then I was reminded of a quote from a guy named Charles Reed, who was a, a novelist in the 18th century. And, and it, it's a little hard in modern English, but this is what he said. He said, sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. 
So a habit, and you reap a character. So a character, and you reap a destiny. If I could paraphrase that into a more modern English, it says, if you want to achieve your dreams, if you want to achieve a life and life more abundantly, if you want to see this world come to Christ, if you want to see your family saved, if you want to see something like that, develop the character that will produce it by cultivating good habits, one action and one thought at a time. And so in just a moment, we're all going to receive communion. And if I could have some assistance kind of scattering a few of these uh, plates out a little bit, if some of my ushers could help me. I asked to do it differently this time because I, I want to receive communion in acknowledgement, number one, of what God has done for us, but also as an encouragement that when you, when you partake of the elements, either individually or as a family, wherever you are, that you would think about, what is the one seed that I could start to sow this week? Is there someone I could show forgiveness to? If there's someone that, that has been ostracized that I could accept, is there somebody that is difficult for me to listen to, but I could show them compassion by giving them five minutes of my time? Is there hope that I could give someone? Or perhaps there's somebody that you know that is lonely and has no friends, and maybe they're a bit eccentric or, or something is off, but, but it, would, it would move their heart towards God if you would invite them to be your friend. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that these, this message would influence me most of all, that I would not just preach it, but I would live it. I pray, Father, that uh, it's meant to be, it's meant to produce fruit and good fruit in our lives. It's meant to produce a rich and satisfying life from which we can share with others in need who are, are needing something different. Because so many people in our world, God, are so broken and so messed up and so deceived and so without Christ. Help us as we receive these elements that represent your body and blood, that represent the new covenant we have in Christ, that as we partake of them as individuals, we will not only experience forgiveness and cleansing of our sins, but an encouragement and an impartation to go out and share the grace of God with others, as well as the truth of who Christ was and is and what he did. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to do this in, in a slightly different way. I, we're going to do it a section at a time, and actually I'm going to combine these two sections. If you would just let Jenna lead you, we'd like you to come with your family, come through, receive the elements, then go back to your seat and partake, and then just wait until everyone has received. You, you can receive these on your own, and then I'll dismiss the entire congregation in just a few minutes after all have partaken of the body and the blood of Christ. If you'd stand and let Jenna lead you. I could sing. 
you haven't already partaken, please just go ahead and, and take of the, the, the wafer and the, and the juice on your own, just where you're seated. We don't need to do it corporately today, but this is a personal time for you, and I, and I want it to have a personal impact. Thank you, Father. Patsy, I was praying and God showed me some wrinkles he wants to iron out of me. Thanks for sharing that word. That's good. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May you realize his will for your life and may he illuminate the path you're to walk that you may step from wherever you are closer to the blessed path that he has for you. May you reap the fruit of the word of God as it's been sown into your souls. He loves you. He's for you. He wants to see you overcome and be victorious in every area of your life. And that is my prayer for you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Encounter Church, visit ecdenver.org or find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.